Hey, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, our lead pastor, Jim, he usually teaches on Sunday mornings, but uh, they had a family vacation with uh, all the kids and grandkid, grandchild and everything. So, um, so I'm it. Hey, oh. It's a good thing you clap now because you might not be clapping at the end. So when we started, uh, we're in a, this is the last sermon in our series called Little, Little Letters, where we've been going through some of the little, shorter letters in the New Testament. And uh, that started in the summer, it ends today, and way back when, Jim came up with the schedule and he said, pick a day to preach. And I said, give me the last one, because it was the farthest away. <laughs> and yet here we are, I was hoping something would happen before now, but... <clears throat> But I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who can work and take whatever words that I have and do something good with them. So we're in the book of Jude today. Uh, it's just 25 verses long. And um, this, as I really got into this book and started studying it, it really appealed to me because it's short and it's to the point and it's black and white and it's in a straight line beginning to end and that's how my mind works. So um, hopefully this will... Not get to, I have the ability to muddle it up, but we'll try not to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, so by the way, if you have a Bible, either a physical Bible or on your phone and you want to open it up, Jude is the second to the last book of the Bible. Uh, just go to Revelation and hang a left and you'll find Jude right there after third John. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have some back uh, underneath the offering table in a basket. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like one, just take it. It's yours. So I'm going to read through this so you can follow along on your Bible or on the screen. I'm going to definitely need this. Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by, by all that 
They, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Dear God, as we examine your word this morning and as we um, talk through this, God, I pray that you give us a spirit of understanding, that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds and use whatever words I have for your purposes. Thank you, Lord, that that you want us to know you and that you want us to be able to Live this life, this Christian life. Amen. So, this book is written by a guy named Jude, which is another version of Judah or Judas. And whether he went by Jude in his daily life or whether he went by Judas, uh, if he went by Judas, then this is this, this very well could be him saying, "Not that Judas. I'm a different Judas." There's Judas. There's several. It's a common name back then, um, and there were several Judases in the Bible. But uh, the one Judas Iscariot who per- betrayed Jesus, um, I'd want to change my name too. <clears throat> but he says here in the in verse one, he says, "Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James." And it's pretty widely agreed upon that this Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And it says the brother of James. And James, it's believed that that's the James, the brother of Jesus also, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament. And it's interesting that he doesn't play the family card here. He doesn't say Jude, you know, Jesus' brother. Um, but he appeal, he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. 
And so he's, a, he's letting us know, hey, that's really the more important relationship there is the spiritual relationship with Jesus. And it's interesting that the Bible tells us that, um, well, if you didn't know, Jesus had no earthly father. He was born of a virgin. His mother Mary was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit through a supernatural act. And uh, the Bible tells us that his earthly adoptive father, um, Joseph, did not have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. But it goes on to tell us that Joseph and Mary had um, more kids. They had, um, I, I believe it was three other sons and at least two daughters. So Jesus had brothers and sisters. And um, the Bible tells us that they, they didn't believe in Jesus at first. And I don't blame them. If my brother went around saying, I'm the Messiah and only sins can only be... Um, uh, your sins can only be forgiven through me. And by the way, worship me. Um, let me put it this way. I would never say, Evan, uh, a servant of, of Eric, the Messiah. I would only say that sarcastically. And he would say it very sarcastically about me. Who has brothers and sisters? Could, could you imagine? What would it take for you to go from un, not believe, believing that he's out of his mind to worshiping him as the, the promised Messiah of Israel and, and um, the, the Savior of sins. Well, it says that they encountered him after he res was resurrected, and they believed. And if that's not proof enough right there for your brother to worship you, I don't know what is. So that's who wrote the letter. <clears throat> and by the way, James, who wrote the book of James, uh, was one of the leaders of the church in Israel, as well as Jude. So who did he write this letter to? Second half of verse 1, it says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So he's talking to believers, Christians. Uh, and it, it doesn't say, it says called. Called there means if you're a Christian, it's not because you happened to stumble upon God and decided to believe. The Bible tells us that he called us before we were even seeking him. So if you're a believer, it's because you were called. Beloved in God the Father. That's good news too. He, called, he pursued us, he called us, he loves us. And, and we're kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. Some translations say by. They're both good. Kept for him and kept by him. Verse 2, he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he loves them. He has affection for them. So in verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, or this salvation that we have in common, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he wanted to write him a nice positive letter about salvation, but the Spirit had, the Holy Spirit had other plans. And he realized he needed to write a different letter. <clears throat> and he says here, I appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The word contend, 
the original Greek that that's translated from. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But in that word is the word from which we get our word agonize. So it's a striving. It's a fighting for for the faith. Not a faith. Not faith. The faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Who are the saints besides a football team? It's us. If you're a believer, you're a saint. When the Bible talks about the saints, it's talking about Christians. Now the faith, when it says the faith, that means there is a fixed set of beliefs that are foundational to our Christianity that are non-negotiable. And they're not still being revealed. They were revealed once for all. They were once for all delivered to the saints. So we can be confident that the, the Bible that we have and the beliefs that we have come from God and uh, anyone that comes along afterwards and tries to add to them, or here's another book that you need to read to really get all the revelation, it's false. Don't buy it. And when we talk about these beliefs that make up the faith, there are certain beliefs beliefs that um, we that I have been referred to by others as closed-handed beliefs. These are beliefs that you have in your hand closed around them and they don't change and you don't let some of them go and add any others. You're, they're closed. There's other beliefs that we have that are open-handed. Um, they're not foundational to our faith. There may be other churches and other denominations that have different beliefs about certain things like communion or baptism or... or um, ways to conduct church services or uh, any number of things that we can disagree upon, but they're not foundational to Christianity. And um, so we don't have to break fellowship over those. But these beliefs, there's certain beliefs like uh, the deity of Jesus and that uh, salvation is only found through him. Forgiveness of sins is only found through Jesus and that he was born of a virgin uh, and that he's returning one day. There's, um, there's, those are the types of belief that are foundational to our Christianity. And if you're wondering about those, um, you can actually go back, go, go to our website and go to our past sermons. We recently did a series through the Apostles' Creed, uh, which outlines those foundational beliefs and you can watch, um, a bunch of, uh, messages about those. But in verse 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. So he's talking about false teachers who have crept into the church, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So he doesn't name who these people are. There's, a, there's almost a, a, a bit of contempt in his voice when he says, Certain people have crept in. So they crept in, meaning... They were sneaky. You don't creep in usually by accident. You're creeping in on purpose. And just so you know, false teachers don't come with a name tag that says, hello, I am a false teacher. They come in saying all the right things and acting nice and um, and appearing godly. But it says they are ungodly and that they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. When we think sensuality, sometimes we think of... Uh, just things of a sexual nature, but sensuality here means fleshly things, which could be money and power, things that are not of the Spirit. 
So they pervert the grace of God for that. And, and in fact, there's probably some teachings about, well, since we're covered under grace, it doesn't matter what we do. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Uh, and the, and here's the big one. They deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So now in this next section, Jude gives us three examples uh, from earlier in the history of the Jewish people about what God did with different people who were disobedient to him. So in verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So this is talking about the Exodus, which you can find in the book of Exodus, uh, where the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, and God miraculously rescued them out of Egypt and promised them promised them that he would take them to a land that they would inhabit. And he saved them out of Egypt by signs and wonders, miraculous things that happened that they all saw. He led them out. He parted the Red Sea. Did that really happen? Listen, if God is God, and he is, then he can do all things. He is master of all creation. These are not hard things to believe if you recognize that God is God, that he's all-powerful. He parted the Red Sea. He led the Jewish people through it. He closed the Red Sea on Pharaoh's armies behind it. He led them all throughout the wilderness. He was with them. He miraculously provided for them. And yet, there were still those who did not believe. And when they actually got to the promised land, uh, they said, we can't, we can't take the land. The people in it are too great for us and too mighty. And God said, because of your unbelief, you're not going to enter the land. And the, that entire generation died without going into the promised land, except for two guys who did believe, and uh, they led the next generation into the land. Verse 6, And the angels who did not... By the way, if you're like me when we read through this, there were certain things that kind of made you cock your head to the side and, and go, what? And here's one of them. Verse 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. What does that mean? I don't know. But I'll tell you a couple of the beliefs about what that might be. One of them is that, um, so Satan and the, and the demons, they started out as angels serving God. They rebelled against God. They were cast out of heaven. So it's at least talking about that, that they did not stay within their own position of authority and they were cast out. However, there's some problems with that view. Um, the, the, the widely, the more widely held view is that these were, uh, when you read in Genesis about the sons of God, who some believe are demons. They desired the, the daughters of men and they cohabitated with them and had sex with them and they had children. And the view is that this created a, a race uh, called the Nephilim. Of, and so God had to wipe them all out and that's what, how, one reason why the flood came along. So that's a widely held view. Um, I'm not going to take a bullet for that one. Um, but that that is entirely possible, and so God, so what it means, what the view is, is that God took those demons and cast them into the abyss, 
in gloomy darkness and chains until until the final judgment. So there are some demons who... And by the way, the Bible teaches us that angels, demons, they're real. There is a spiritual world, supernatural world all around us. It doesn't tell us a lot about it, but it does tell us that it exists. And there's spiritual warfare going on at all times. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So these three examples, what, one thing that Jude is telling his readers, telling us, the big idea is that the ultimate responsibility for false teachers and people who commit wicked acts, and it's all in God's hands. That God is responsible and that God will deal with those people. And we can take some comfort and some hope in that. Verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, and he's referring to the false teachers who have crept into the church, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So when it says relying on their dreams, one view is that that could be that they claim to have dreams and visions which give them authority to do whatever they're doing, to teach whatever they're teaching. It could also just mean their sinful state of mind. But they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Blaspheme the glorious ones there is referring to spiritual beings, angels and demons. And um, if you think about false teachers, these would be people who dismiss the supernatural realm. It's like, no, there's no angels and demons. You, you know, and they, they, they hold those views in contempt. Verse 9 is another interesting verse. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I don't know where Jude got this information, if if it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells us that when Moses died, God took his body and buried him, and nobody knew where he was buried. There is um, an extra-biblical book, a book that is not in the Bible, um, called First Enoch, that was a respected book, although not held as scripture. It was a, it's a respected book among Jews in ancient times that does talk about um, the devil and, and the archangel Michael contending for the body of Moses. So, um, But the point is, even the archangel Michael, who is the mightiest angel, didn't dare pronounce any sort of rebuke on Satan, but just said, the Lord rebuke you. And that's that's a good word for us too. You leave these things to the Lord. If you're under spiritual attack, turn to the Lord. Just say, Jesus, save me. But these people, verse 10, but these people, these false teachers, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They don't know what they're talking about. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. 
So what they understand is fleshly things, like unreasoning animals, because that's all they care about. Verse 11, woe to them. It's a very heavy thing when you hear a woe pronounced in the Bible, so pay attention. And here Jude appeals to three or alludes to three stories from the Old Testament as he talks about these false teachers. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and and perished in Korah's rebellion. So Cain was uh, the first son of Adam and Eve back in Genesis. Abel was their second son. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. They each brought an offering to the Lord. God accepted Abel's offering. He rejected Cain's. There's different views on to, as to why he rejected those, but the bottom line is Cain came offering and he did not have a right heart before God. And what God cares about is your heart. And also what God cares about is how he is worshipped. We don't get to decide what is acceptable worship to God. God tells us what is acceptable worship. So there was something there about Cain's offering that God didn't like. And um, you could draw the comparison to um, to saying, hey, I'm going to do religion my way. I'm going to do Christianity my way. I don't care what God says. I don't need the church to worship God. God would disagree with you. Having a right heart. So they didn't have a right heart. It's the way of Cain. And they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. They only care about profit and money. Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament. You can find this account starting in Numbers chapter 22. And uh, the king of Moab was afraid of the Israelites because they were in crossing his country. And he went and found Balaam and said, I'll give you a lot of money if you come and curse the Israelites. And Balaam uh it turns out he couldn't because God wouldn't let him. But um, um, eventually the Israelites were led into false worship because uh, the Moabite women went and lived among the Israelites and, and enticed them, and they ended up going after their gods. But that's Balaam's error, is doing it for money. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah was an Israelite, uh, a leader. He had some influence, and he led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And basically, he came to Moses and Aaron and said, who are you? You know, we're smart too. How come you get to lead? And Moses said, meet me here tomorrow, and we'll let God decide. And so they met him there tomorrow. There was about 250 men, and um, God told Moses and Aaron, go stand over there. Trust me, you don't want to be around. And so they stepped over there and the ground swallowed up these rebellious people. So they come with unbelieving hearts. They're after money and profit and they question God's authority. Verse 12, he calls these false teachers, he says, they are hidden reefs at your love feasts. 
So, uh, some translations, instead of hidden reefs, it'll say spots or blemishes. The idea of a hidden reef it would be a reef just under the surface of the water, and when your ship hits it, you get shipwrecked. So they're they're lying in wait to uh, damage your faith, or they're a spot or a blemish on your love feast. Love feast in the early church, uh, they would gather at least weekly and have a meal together, uh, all believers, rich and poor, and it was an act of charity a lot of the time, and uh, they would also... Uh, typically observe the Lord's Supper. And these guys were just coming in and just gorging themselves and they don't care about anybody else. They are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. A good shepherd doesn't feed themselves. He look, they look after their sheep. And um, in the Old Testament, um, the evil leaders of Israel were called, um, referred to as shepherds who weren't looking after their sheep and were only feeding themselves. And then Jude goes on to tell us how he really feels about these guys. He calls them waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Waterless clouds, you can see them, but there's nothing there. They're worthless, drifting by, by the wind, um, blown by the wind. Fruitless trees, good for nothing. Wandering stars, this could be planets. You can't navigate by planets or, or um, falling stars or, or comets. You can see them and they're bright and shiny, but they're they'll lead you astray. That's these false teachers. Verse 14, It was also about these, these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Do you get the point? It's ungodly and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So back in uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. That's the prophecy of Jesus' coming back one day. And he will deal with all the ungodliness and judge those who are ungodly with ungodly deeds that they committed in an ungodly way and that they have spoken ungodly things. Ungodly sinners have, sorry, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against Jesus, those people will be judged. So verse 16, there's nothing worse. Well, there's maybe worse things, but there's, this is one of them. Then people in the church who are grumblers, grumbling about things behind other people's backs, spreading division. They're malcontents, people who are never happy with anything. And they're just following their own sinful desires, not concerned about the good of the church, about the good of the body, about unity. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. They're after their own advantage. 
either power or money. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So in other words, this didn't take God by surprise. God knew there would be false teachers who would creep into the church. He warned us, and so we can take comfort in that to know God's got this. This didn't take him by surprise, and he has a plan for them, and he also has a plan for us. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So they're not even Christians. They don't have the Spirit. So here we go from all this. That's all pretty depressing. (laughs) But here we take a positive turn. What do we do? Those of us who are believers, because these false teachers, these horrible people have crept in and they're spreading division and they're teaching false things and they're only out for their own good. What do we do? What do we be to be doing in the meantime? And also, what do we do to protect ourselves against those guys? Well, in verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to build yourself up in your most holy faith? Well, are you, are you in the Word regularly? Are you reading your Bible regularly? Are you praying regularly? I wanted to wear a shirt today that said hypocrite because this is very convicting for me too, okay? <clears throat> but really, there is no excuse. We live in a time where there is more access to more teaching and to more uh, biblical helps than at any other time in the history of the world. With the internet, with YouTube, with different ministries who have websites and teachings for free, there is absolutely no excuse for us as believers to, to not regularly be in the Word and studying the Word and seeking understanding. We really have to step back and ask ourselves, what is the most important thing in life? And if we went by what we spend a lot of our time on, we probably, we'd be embarrassed by the answers, you know. Netflix is the most important thing. <clears throat> I'm sorry, am I, are you people squirming yet? Uh, let me recommend to you if you, if this might help some of you. Um, there's a really cool app called the Version Bible, Y-O-U, the Version Bible. It's a free app put out by a big church in Oklahoma. And uh, you can, they've got the whole Bible on there in a bunch of different translations. Lots of Bible studies on there, reading plans, um, daily devotionals. It, I found it very helpful, and maybe you would too. Um, you can download the ESV Bible for free on your phone and always have God's Word right at your fingertips. There is great gain and advantage to constantly filling your mind and your heart with God's Word. The Spirit who lives inside of you, if you're a believer, 
can work in you in ways that you don't understand when you have God's word hidden in your heart. He can bring it to mind when you need it. He can use it to guide your steps, to redirect your steps. So you might be feeling convicted because you might say, man, I'm, I'm just not good at that. I haven't been good at that. Well, today's a new day and there's always grace and it's always time to start new. So being in your word and it says, uh, and building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, it could mean several things, but it at least means this. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So when you pray, he helps you to pray. He, you, you ask him, I don't know how to pray. Show me how to pray. Give me the desires of the things to pray for. Bring to mind the things I need to pray for. But it doesn't work if you don't pray. So I always used to feel uh, convicted and and because you'd always hear, get up first thing in the morning, get up early first thing in the morning and read your Bible and pray and devote that to start your day off right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that sounds great, except for the getting up early part. And so I always struggled with that and I would beat myself up over it. And just let me just give you some grace here. Say, if you're not a morning person, it's okay. Um, you can also read your Bible in the afternoon and, and at night and pray. The, the point is do it, okay? Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, what does that mean? Because at the beginning, it says we are kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. And, and a few verses uh, later that we're going to get to in a minute, it says uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So does he keep us or do we keep ourselves? It says, it says keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, it's, it's both. We, we cannot... We cannot, by our own strength, uh, save ourselves or grasp salvation, and we cannot, by our, our own strength, uh, maintain it. But we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He works in us. Have you ever, for those of you with kids, have you ever tried to dress a toddler who does not want to be dressed? <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, okay, you're not wearing pants today, I guess. It's a lot easier when they cooperate with you, right? And uh, not that God can't overcome our rebellion and uh, our, our rebellious hearts, but he wants us to cooperate with him as he guides us. So keep yourselves in the love of God. And, and by the way, being in his word and praying and making that a priority in your life will help you to keep yourself in the love of God. And by the way, I say that a lot, don't I? By the way, as we're reading the Bible and as the Spirit is working in us, we need to decide ahead of time and continually remind ourselves that we need to be under the authority of God's Word. What do I mean by that? Well, you could take the view that you stand in authority over God's Word. And so if you encounter something in the Bible that you don't like or that makes you squirm, or that you don't agree with, if you're, if you're standing in authority over the Bible, you would say, well, I don't like that part. I don't agree. God, I don't agree. 
Or if you're under the, the authority of the Bible, when you come across something like that, you say, well, okay, I'm not God. I need to bring myself, I need to change my mind and my heart about this. And that's easy to say until you come across it. Because there are many things in the Bible that disagree with our culture. And that's why the church can be unpopular. And by the way, Jesus predicted that. He said, they'll hate you. If you follow me, they'll hate you. So we need to decide ahead of time how we're going to react when we come across those things in the Bible that are hard and that we kind of want to disagree with. I don't want to find myself disagreeing with God. Saying, yeah, God, difference of opinion. Agree to disagree. He'll say, no, doesn't work that way. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. What does that mean? Waiting for the mercy of the Lord. It's, it's talking about one day Jesus is coming back. And he's going to change everything. He's going to right all wrongs and change us into who he wants us to be. And he's going to fix this world. And I had the picture in my mind of, do you remember as a kid when you were in school and summer vacation was just around the corner and you were just filled with hope because school was almost over and I'm going to have this long summer and Next school year is so far away, I, it's, and there's this sense of hope and excitement. I think of that when I think about keeping our minds fixed on the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. There's a lot, there's plenty of things that are discouraging in our world that we could keep our minds fixed on, right? Be discouraged. There's a lot of things in the state of Washington that we could be discouraged about. So what are you fixing your, your hope on? What are you fixing your thoughts on? And it's helpful to me when I get discouraged about, oh, masks and closures and school stuff, and they'll get me started. When I, to get my eyes up off of those things and realize that there's something bigger, there's something more important, there's something more lasting and eternal that is coming. And this world will seem like a blip. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? For those of you who aren't believers, are you ready to make yourself ready for that? Which means surrendering yourself to Jesus and accepting his free gift of salvation. So in verses 22 and 23, he gives us instruction on what to do with people who are caught up in these teachings of these false teachers. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. There will be people among us who have doubts about many things having to do with the Bible, and that's okay. God works through doubts. He can work through doubts. What we need to do is have mercy on them, not to shun them, not to ignore them because it's uncomfortable. Come alongside those people. Build relationships. Anything worthwhile is done through relationships. You can't just walk up to a person you don't know. Um, well, you could, but it might not be beneficial and just start saying, you're wrong. Here's what the Bible says. That might work sometimes. It's much more effective to 
when you can say these things in love to somebody and walk alongside someone as they're struggling with doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And the picture of here is some people who have gone a little farther and following some false teaching, and uh, they're in danger. And we do what we can. Again, it's most effective through relationship and just come on and say, hey, brother, I'm worried about you. Uh, you're, you're going down a wrong path. We need to be willing and bold enough to do that, as, to love people enough to speak truth to them. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. They may be so far in it that they're filthy. And we need to fear for ourselves, which means just watch your heart so that you don't get caught up too, but still try to rescue those people. And now we end with two verses, which is... um, um, your heading in your Bible might say doxology. Doxology means a, a, a statement of thankfulness. This is one of the most beautiful doxologies in the New Testament, where Jude says, Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, are you glad that God is able to keep you from stumbling? Oh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, before the presence of his glory with great joy. You might think about standing before God one day and like you'll be, your knees will be knocking together and you'll be, God's going to be mad at you and he's going to show everybody what you did and I'll let you into heaven anyway, but that's not what it says. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The Bible tells us that When we follow Jesus, accept his gift of salvation, he takes off our robe of filthy, our filthy rags, the filthy rags of our sins, and he takes his robe of righteousness and he puts puts it on us and he exchanges it. I don't know why you wouldn't want that. And it says, with great joy. To the only God, verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. God is unchanging. Is that good news? Let's pray. Dear God, we are thankful for this little book of Jude. It's such a timely, timeless message as there are all kinds of opinions and ideas about what is the truth. God, all truth only comes from you, and it never changes because you never change. God, and I'm glad that you've revealed the truth to us and called us to walk in the truth, to pursue the truth, to live in the truth, and to know the truth so well that we won't be caught up caught up by false teachers. And God, that you can keep us in the truth because we are so prone to wandering. God, I pray that these words, you would continue to work them into our hearts and our minds this week. God, give us 
the ability and the desire to pursue your word and to commune with you in prayer daily and to um, give ourselves a little grace when we miss it and just pick it up again the next day. God, we're thankful for who you are. That it's all about you and you are on your throne. And one day all of this will be right. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.